throughout our life, we make all kinds of connections. From our neighbors to our co-workers, from family members to people we interact with in business every day. What about the connections we make to ourself? Today, we'll explore the connections that we make and how they define our lives. This is Things Worth Considering with hosts Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill. It's time to listen and learn. Hello, and uh, thank you for joining us here at Things Worth Considering. I'm your host, Gord Riddell, here with my ever-curious and inquisitive co-host, Dr. Jan Hill. Howdy. How are you doing, Jan? I'm good. Are you having a great week? Yep, it's a good week. Everything's melting, that's why. Everything's melting. (laughs) Time to get out and clean up the yard. Exactly. So last week we talked about this we-ness. I have to say it in just the right way. We-ness. Otherwise, it sounds like It's a newest term for having conscious relationships. Uh, You know, when two individuals uh, create this uh, we-ness, it's quite different from the we that we are used to in uh, uh, talking about in codependency. So today we're going to chat about one of the most common experiences in most people's relationships, and that would be arguing, fighting, and lots of anger being tossed around, perhaps too much. Uh, Now, let me just say to our listeners, there's lots and lots of really good things here in today's show uh, and that are worth considering. So uh, not that all of our shows aren't jam-packed with lots of great stuff. But given uh, we all encounter some of these areas of conflict in our lives, and not just in our our relationship with our loved one, our spouse, but also in work, friends. So it might be a great idea to uh, grab a pen and paper and consider uh, writing some of these things down. So uh, feel free to take notes because I think it's worth it. So why do people fight with their spouses so much? My first answer is it's safe. Yep. It's a very safe thing to do. Uh, Now, what what do you mean it's safe? Well, we believe that we can do it because we believe that they're not going to go anywhere. The same way as with how we treat our parents. Right. And that's interesting, right? Because it would actually suggest that if you have enough guts to fight with somebody, that there's at least a foundation of trust. Absolutely. And you're trusting, in fact, that they're not going to go anywhere. That's why they're so surprised when we do. Um, You know... (laughs) Uh, the fact is, is that the people we're closest to are usually the people that we're on our worst behavior with. Mm. Now, part of that is trust. That part of that's where you know we get to go home and let our hair down and and you know be our private self compared to our public self, which is out there. But it's often really, really in rude, inconsiderate, um, and a lot really is you know sitting on ignoring that other person, uh, even though we're in the same house. That thank God we want them there when we arrive. We just want them to be there our way. Exactly. Goffman actually refers to this kind of stuff as being in your front stage. When you're in your front stage, you're out there, you're performing yourself, you're doing your thing, and you're following along with the sort of basically the strictures of society, right? Yep. And then when you are in your backstage, and there's varying degrees of backstage and front stage. So when you're hanging out with the people that are in your immediate circle, you're more likely to be busy doing the kind of stuff that you would never do in your front stage. Right. Right? Right, exactly. That's you save your special Our secret behavior. life. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then we go even further backstage. Yeah. And that's the part that nobody sees. That's right. And yeah. maybe even further, further, further back, and you don't even see it yourself because it lies dormant or actively hidden in yep. the unconscious. Or have massive denial around it. Could. Yes. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, so, you know, we, we feel safe when we don't have, uh, the, you know, have this sort of threat that they're going to abandon us. You know, the next uh, group that's probably, is, is, you know, like family to us is going to be our coworkers. In fact, we may spend more time with them than we do with our actual families. Uh, and sometimes we're a bit more in line at work because there's a definite hierarchy and that hierarchy controls our cash flow. Yeah, but you know what I find with that, Gord, doing corporate stuff is, um, especially in things like conflict resolution and uh-huh. stuff. So conflict resolution requires at least some level exposure of the self, right? When you say, this is bothering me. So there's an element of vulnerability. Yep. So often people in the workforce, especially if it's super hierarchical, are worried that the people that they're talking to will take that personal information and tell somebody else. So there'll be this triangulation. So your secrets aren't saved, and that will actually impact upon their their how people perceive them at work. Well, they will absolutely, absolutely perceive, you know, again, well, they're. I think that, you know, gossip is probably one of the most destructive things that takes place yep. anywhere. Uh, I will walk away. I don't want to know about anybody unless they're telling me their news. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't want to hear someone else telling me or talking about somebody else. Now, sometimes, you know, we might have to talk about a student who's having difficulties, but that's a very different thing than gossiping. Sure. You know, sure. gossiping is so destructive. Or, you know, you have to go to the HR department or something and, you know, talk about a situation that's happening. Exactly. Uh, within your work environment, right? But where's my, an HR? Where's my HR department? I know. You don't have an HR department. I know. I am the HR department. <laughs> you are the HR department. <laughs> yeah. And Linda. Um, yeah. So let, let's go, go back here. Um, so why do we get married in the first place? You know, outside of our need to replicate, you know, we have to get our DNA carried on somehow, you know, uh, why, why do we get married? I think we get married to make other people happy. Make other people happy? Yeah, that we got married. Okay. What about getting our needs met? Well, that's, this is the challenge, right? Is that we live as individuals, we believe, and our individuality is supposedly so important to us. And yet we live within a community that where we actually have community needs to meet. So this, there's always this pull as an individual to meet the needs of the community. And there's always the community, um, you know, and then there's always our desire to meet our own needs, right? So there's always this push and pull back and forth. Yeah, right. and so that kind of push and pull almost invariably makes people angry. Yeah, and I think it's really hard in a family unit, especially with a spouse or a significant other, when you or a mother or parent, right? When you are, then there's clear expectations that you inside say, "Oh, those don't those I don't know. That's not working for me." Uh uh-uh. uh right? But we usually don't. That's the problem. Sometimes we don't recognize it till much later yeah. when you have your midlife crisis and move on, right? <laughs> oh, midlife, yes. yes. Remember it well. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the only thing I didn't get was the car. Um, so, you know, if, if we look at that, so with needs, what about Maslow's? Where does Maslow fit in here, the hierarchy of needs that he did? Now, a lot of what Maslow's done has basically been refuted in a lot of ways but it's still a good i think it's a it's a good place to start yeah absolutely right because and and if for no other reason that maslow actually provides us with a um, a model for describing the various levels of needs that humans have so you can you can you know be on the the, you can be a maslow fan or you can be a maslow anti-fan doesn't matter what's kind of (laughs) significant about what maslow does is he creates this hierarchy so where he basically says on the bottom of our hierarchy is physiological needs. So this is air, food, water, shelter, sleep, clothing, reproduction, these kinds of physiological needs that you absolutely have to have met at least at a very basic level 
in order to actually experience and and be able to experience the next level of needs, which are our safety needs. Right. right. And that includes your personal security, your employment, your resources, your health, your property, those kinds of things. And then the third level, once those needs feel secure, the third level is love and belonging. So friendship, intimacy, family, sense of connection, right? So okay. unless you have your safety needs and your physiological needs met, it's very, very hard to have your love and belonging needs met. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then at the very top, of course, is the transcendence. That's the self-actualization. Actual, yeah. Absolutely. And so, between those two is the esteem. Exactly. Respect, self-esteem. So as, as each one is, is, is basically what he says is that as each one is fulfilled, that we move, we move up, but we can't move on to the next. Now, I disagree with that. I think that we can be, you know, having our, our you know, primary needs uh, still under control or still trying to get them happening. At the same time, we can, you know, be looking at safety and, and, mm-hmm. and making sure that that is part of us getting food, you know, that we have safe sources of food and secure in the fact that it will always be there. Mm-hmm. Those kind of things. So I'm not sure that it's as cut and dry. And I think that's what, you know, a lot of psychologists have argued is that it's not quite cut and dry as, you know, this level, okay, this level is fulfilled. Now we can go to the next one. Yeah, it's a dynamic. I right? think, yeah, I think there's a flow through. Yeah. But I, I certainly agree with, you know, when you're struggling with needs, you know, at the most basic levels, that it's very difficult to think of, you know, uh, you know, self-actualizing or reaching our, our full potential yeah. when we don't have enough food to eat. Well, right. And you know what I find interesting about Maslow's hierarchy, uh, hierarchy of needs is it moves from community-centered needs, so things that have to happen um, together, like physiological needs uh, that have to be met in community, right? You yep. have to be able to, like, sleeping and eating and reproducing involve other people, and they come from living in community. Safety needs, again, that's a community thing, all the way up to the top, which is an individuated, a hyper-individuated state of self-actualization. So that goes right back to this polarity, this movement always back and forth between the individual needs and the community needs. Yep. They're interdependent. Well, they are, but not everybody's, everybody is tied into that community needs. You only need to look around in the big city centers and see the people that are homeless are not part of any community. Right. So how could they, you know, in that back and forth, right? Mm -hmm. If the community fulfillment of community-based needs facilitates the self-actualization and they're missing those pieces, then the self-actualization is not going to happen. But the flip side of it is that the, um, it can, the question is, and I think in neoliberalism, we think the answer is yes, but I would would (laughs) challenge this, is that um, can the physiological needs and the community needs actually happen when we're busy? Can we contribute to that when we're super, super busy self-actualizing? Well, I think my experience would be that people actually pull back. Yeah, exactly. You know, they, they are much more likely to you know, want to enter a more contemplative period of time in their life or yeah. whatever, but, you know, and then pull, pull back from, you know, if we look at our, our lives is the demands that are made by so many people from so many different places, um, whether it's to donate to, to, you know, someone's charity who's going to, you know, walk, walk a, a walkathon or run the marathon, um, you know, the local church or synagogue, on and on and on. You know, uh, with the schools we graduated from, everyone's looking for money. Uh, but also then just the, the needs within our own family unit that's required. Or what's happening at work if someone's off sick and, you know, then you know, we have to cover for them. Uh, there's just so, you know, no wonder people are stressed out. 
I'm stressed out talking about this. Totally. Exactly. <laughs> Your hair's on fire. I know. I know. I mean, I mean, my feet are like just just bumping away here. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, you know it's a really difficult. It seems to at this time in in uh, uh, certainly North American society be very difficult to try and have some sort of uh, even a, a practice of contemplation that. You can sort of get away, you know. If you if you want to have anything like that, it's almost like you're going to pay big bucks, fly on out of here, go mm-hmm. far away, leave the cell phone at home, and cut yeah. yourself off from the world. Yep. So, again, that's the, that's the idea that to individuate and self-actualize in this crazy, crazy world of so many other people's needs is that we have to that that we can't do both at the same time, right? That one is at the expense of the other. It right? seems to be. Yeah. It seems to be. Yeah. So what do you think about attachment styles as being relevant to sort of what happens in a relationship dynamic? Well, um, obviously, I mean, that that plays in, you know, uh, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, how it is that we, we have those attachment styles, yeah. you know. Um, you know, there's a, a couple of them that I think are somewhat healthy, uh, but then when we get into things like avoidant, uh, um, and, you know, we're, and, and we're more likely, of course, that's that whole thing of attracting opposites. Mm-hmm. You know, two avoidants usually don't come together. No, because they're too busy avoiding each other. Exactly. Exactly. Right. But, you yeah. know, um, but the person who's, who's an all in, you know, kind of a, in their attachment style, you know, versus the, the avoidant, they're, they're like a perfect, you know, uh, matchup. And they're just, you know, one's going to spend all this time avoiding, and whereas the other person is going to try to keep pursuing them, you know. Right. But that's almost like the, the dance of intimacy, isn't it? You know, the abandonment style and the, the uh, engulfer. Yeah, know? the anxious and the avoidant, right? Yeah. The, the runner away and the pursuer, hey, where are you going? Come back to me. Exactly, until all of a sudden the pursuer turns around and says, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they turn around and they start to walk away or run away. Mm-hmm. And the, the, you know, the engulfment person, the avoider, all of a sudden goes, oh my God. And they stop and they have to turn around and now they're going to go running after them. Mm-hmm, exactly, and I think that there's a strong cor- correlation, although I don't have any data to, this is just an, a feeling, an inkling that I would have, is that the attachment style that we have is also probably connected to the communication style that we have. So is an avoidant person likely to uh, necessarily, unless they've had specific training, right, in yeah. communication, are they likely to sit down and share their feelings about something, or are they more likely to just go, you know what, back off, I'm out of here. Versus, right. like, for example, the anxious person, if they haven't had any specific kind of communication training, are they more likely to pursue and, you know, be what stereotypically we think of as the nagger or the over-talker? Right, right, right. right. Over-sharing stuff. Right. But, you know, what? I, I mean, I, you know, both times uh, on both of those examples you've said, if they've had communications, you know, uh, right. training, that we are so lacking in communication training just because we can speak does not mean we know how to communicate. And that's a huge difficulty for people mm-hmm. is to be able to be authentic, be real, be honest, and not have to sit there in the fear that someone's about to stomp you. Mm-hmm. All right. Or be in a relationship with someone that, you know, in their anger they use they use nasty language mm-hmm. or they put us down or they denigrate, humiliate, all those kinds of things. Or they'll do it in public as a way to to uh keep it, you know, keep themselves in control of the whole situation, which is just so wrong. It's just uh, so wrong. And on wrong, that's a good place for us to take a break. 
and everyone can take notes, write down what their style is, <laughs> and take a look at how and what they might need to learn to communicate. So we're going to uh, break away here for a couple minutes, and we will be back on the other side of these commercials. on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world and that includes you visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental dynamic educational environment we believe learning is much more than just theories it is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. What makes someone successful in their field? On Transformational Energy Leadership, Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey speaks to amazing guests who share their ideas, advice, tips, and tricks as to what defines success for them. The result is positive transformation for you. You'll learn that personal energy is the key to make it work. And you'll hear through actual examples how to bring that positive transformation to life. Listen live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. For so many years, adults and teens have experienced a breakdown in communication. It doesn't have to be like this. Listen for Tools for Teen Transformation with Lily Williams. Coach Lily and her guest will tackle subjects like bullying, self-esteem issues, teen pregnancy, substance abuse, and more. It's all about getting teens and the adults in their lives to think differently. You could save a teen's life. Tune in every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern and 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Vidal and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, welcome back. I'm uh, Gordon Dell here with uh, Jan Hill, and uh, we're talking about 
something that we all encounter in our relationships, and that is the whole area of conflict. Yeah. Whoa, there she goes. Uh, that's what I've been waiting for. I like it. Um, I like it when she growls. Um, but when we have to take a look at uh, how how do we do anger, uh, why does anger keep coming into our relationships, uh, I think it's really important. So I think one of the questions really is, is that, um, you know, uh, we don't know, you know, sort of what the criterion is, is that the person carries, that how do they know that they're loved? Right. Because I think that's a, a great question because how do we know what they're angry about, right? How do we know where that anger comes from unless we actually understand how somebody interprets love? Exactly. I love that idea. I, that's uh, nice. I know, but but usually we take it for granted. We, we you know, certainly have the media, you know, if I bring you chocolates, I, what else do you want? Right. You know? uh, now, interestingly, you know, some of the things are, are uh, um, you know they sort of come to light that I've, I've I've read and seen some things on is you know for a woman you know that chocolate means nothing, all right. So the guy he thinks he's gone all out he's done a really big thing. For her it's what is he doing? Does he help around the house? Does he you know does he help do the laundry? You know it's a real you know it's a physicalization. It's a real show me. Yeah. You see, okay. So yeah, I agree with that. I see this a lot with couples that I might be working with. Right? Is that um, and I think this reflects different styles, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and it doesn't, again, when we talk about couples and relationships, I think it's important to think of everything in the context of a dynamic, right? So, um, it doesn't mean that somebody only likes getting presents, only likes tokens of love, you know, and, and, and really likes them a lot and somebody else really, really likes doing things together. It means that in every relationship, we have varying degrees of that, right? right? And in different situations. So on Valentine's Day, yeah, it might be a good idea to bring those chocolates, right? But during the course of the of the year, just the daily living that people do, it might actually be a good idea to help somebody out with the laundry or getting the kids to hockey or whatever the deal is, right? And it yep. doesn't necessarily have to be genderized. I think that that's oh, no, part. No, no. Yeah, I think that's part of the sort of the mythos of femininity, masculinity, and how love appears. But getting gifts like is for some people. Right. You don't have to if you do nothing else, if you just bring them tokens of love, like little bird bringing them a little twig, it doesn't even matter. It can be a really ugly twig. Or the cat that brings, you know, the dead they mouse care, and drops right? it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's just an acknowledgement, a recognition that I was thinking of you. And, you know, moms can sometimes be like this. Parents are like this. You know, you make a little mud ball and you're like, Mom, I made this mud ball for you. And it's like, <laughs> or Dad, I made the mud ball for you. And it's the best mud ball ever, right? Uh, absolutely. It's just the token. And yeah. doing things together, I think, is really important uh, for people who are kinesthetic, mm-hmm. right? So, because they relate to the world through their body through moving. Yep. So, or sitting artists. watching TV is not a kinetic experience. No. no. So, artists too who have a very creative, you know, they have this creativity that's always coming out of them, right? So, um, if you're a person who measures, who knows somebody loves you because the person that you love is with you a lot and you're creating things together, you're ripping down that drywall or you're fixing the car, or you're out hiking or you're, you know, even raising, consciously raising the kids together, then that can be a really, really important uh, way of measuring love. 
Absolutely. For Absolutely. somebody, right? Absolutely. And so, well, it's, it's it, yeah, you're, I mean, you're involved, you know. The, the token, oh, I love you, it's like, yeah, so. See, that would mean nothing to somebody who's kinesthetic. It'd right. be like, really, show me. Let's go somewhere and do something. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Like, don't waste your time saying that. And, and you know, uh, I mean, this is somewhat genderized, but men put a lot of, uh, uh, you know, onus around sex as being the way of showing that you love me, as you keep having sex with me. Well, right. And I think that's partly because of the uh, the idea that sex is supposed to be exclusive. So status um, for a guy will come from historically from access, sexual access to a woman. Right. right. So it's like, well, you must love me if you're having sex with me. And so therefore, the pulling back of sex yeah. in a relationship is an often an indicator for the person who is more sexually oriented than the other person of a lack of love or withdrawal of love. And right. Right. It can also be used as an amazing weapon. Of course, absolutely. Right? It's a stag- as a dagger through the heart, mm-hmm. you know, um, when that's when that happens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and another way uh, that we we measure or we measure love or we think about whether or not we're loved is by sharing feelings and communicating. So some people are very communication oriented. So th- so they would be the person who wants to hear somebody else say, "I love you," and they want to talk about the feelings and they want to talk about that and they need to talk about. A lot of things, yeah, talking, yeah. talking, talking, things through, right? Well, you see, now that's that's this is the he said, she said part. Mm-hmm. You know, is is that you know women need to talk a lot more than what men do. Traditionally, genderized and all of those other you know addendums I have to put on that. But traditionally, men can say something once, and basically that's it. They they don't like repeating themselves because they've already said it. Women, they're going to stand and they're going to face the north and say it, and then they're going to turn to the west and say mm-hmm. it, to the south and to the east, and maybe one more time in the middle, just make sure everybody heard it. And that will drive men crazy. Are you trying to make me mad? Yeah. Right now? Right, absolutely, because yeah. I want them to see how we do conflict yeah, resolution. Because <laughs> I think that that's actually more related to whether you're a process-oriented person or an, or an outcome-oriented person. Okay. And I think it has, if it has anything to do with gender, it's actually more related to how women and men, as if we think of them as, you know, falsely distinct entities. Um, they are. Oh, they are, <laughs> yes. Um, if But how they're actually socialized. Yes. So, for example, women are, uh, as little girls, dissuaded from showing any sort of, of physical um, rejection of something, right? Mm-hmm. So... So what do you have if you can't punch something out or if you can't stomp your feet or if you can't run out of the room and you have to sit quietly, right? All you have are your words. True. Right? Yeah. So little girls, and the data supports this idea, is that little girls get very, very good very quickly at being able to discern and describe some of the very different emotions that they're having, right? So their vocabularies are larger, generally speaking, throughout the life of well, especially especially from a feelings perspective, mm. you know, or an emotional, you know, I mean, they they have a language that men really don't have. Mm-hmm. How you doing, kid? Mm-hmm. Really? How 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 else can you describe that? Mm-hmm. I said I'm good. Yeah, I, I I certainly run into this, you know, when working working with guys is trying to create some sort of a vocabulary, and you know, there's there's that disadvantage then in relationship, and I think that you know, women teach men how to you know talk more. Right. You know, and and use more emotive. Yet, at the, and at the same time, I think men teach women how not to. You know, they don't need to keep going over it and over it. Uh, that they did get it the first time. Right. You know, men may not have the language, but 
they're not stupid. Yeah. You know. I do think, though, it's important to reiterate just in every relationship, you're going to have somebody who's more feeling oriented than the other person. Yep. Somebody who's uh, just just ha- has a better concept of their own emotions than somebody else. You know, somebody who's, who wants to communicate more than the other person actually wants to communicate. Somebody else who will want to do more things together. They'll more interest that they want to share with the other person than the other person does with them. You know, like there's Absolutely. all these, it's a, it's a variance across the whole matrix. You know, I mean, the, the whole thing of, you know, uh, uh, opposites attract is, you know, it's not that we're opposite people, it's that we have so many different traits that are opposite. Mm. And so, you know, we're, we're not really wanting to look in a mirror, you know, even though, you know, narcissistically it sounds like an idea, but the, the, the attraction actually exists because here's somebody who I'm identifying with. Because those are the parts of me I haven't owned yet. You know, your ability to use more emotive language than, say, mine as a male is is attractive. Because mm-hmm. then I have I have a better gauge as to where you're where you're coming from, what what you're about. Uh, uh, whereas it's it's too big of a risk for me to use a, that kind of language because I I don't have a positive uh, framework in order to see how does that play out for me. So how do you feel about the idea then that we are uh, at least at first initially in our in our uh, couples relationships attracted to the parent the the per a person who was like the parent that we had the hardest time getting love from oh i mean that's that's true i mean that's what we talked about last week when we talked about the uh uh, hendrix's you know with their imago is that it's the things that uh uh, negatively affected us that we're the most attracted to and we don't realize that you know, uh, we can, you know, say, oh, well, you know, my dad it was a sense of humor, my mother's creativity, blah, blah, blah. But unless they had sort of a negative impact, that's not really what we're looking for. We're unconsciously trying to find someone in order to get these needs met. And we're going to keep going back to exactly the same kind that, you know, we had trouble with in the first place. And we're going to try mm-hmm. and force them somehow to meet these needs that we can't even put our fingers on and we're not even sure we're operating from. So this is really interesting to me because in a culture, a Western modern culture, where nobody spends any time at home anymore, where everybody's busy, 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 running around doing a million different things, and even when we're present with somebody, we're not really present because we're on our phones too. Oh my God. Multitasking. The, The worst. That would suggest that we're already sort of pre programmed culturally to be attracted to an avoidant person. In some ways, yes, absolutely, hmm. absolutely. You know, uh, well, I mean, that's that's assuming that everybody had, you know, an avoidant parent. No, I think this is well. The whole thing is that the family structure is built into it now because we're so busy doing so many other things that the family structure is uh, leads us basically to uh, be avoidant. It's not a causal thing, but it's it creates the context for greater avoidance. Yeah, absolutely, because right. there's nobody around to talk to. Right, so we would have avoidant parents. Right. Right, both of them might even be avoidant. Right, right, right. right. Well, yeah, and we and then we, we watch them, and that and that creates, you know, the, a model for us. Right. Is, you know, occasionally I'll hear myself say something, I'll go, oh my God, was that my father? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I would never have said that, and now here I am saying that. Um, and, you know, and it's like, am I channeling my father here? Right. Um, and it's interesting, but we, we in the early part of our life, I think in our early relationships, we do, do emulate their relationship. And if we don't emulate it, we do 180 degrees mm-hmm. of the exact opposite. 
know, there's a great line that said, well, whenever I think of, you know, what I should do with the children here, I think about what you would have done, Mom, and do the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and the exact opposite of, of opposite, you know, I mean, 180 degrees of sick is still sick. Right. You know, so uh, that, well, how our children observe us is absolutely crucial, you know. Yeah, and that would also Don't do as explain. I do, do as I say. <laughs> that was my chat. There you go. And yeah, so that nice actually <laughs> also explains then, right, when we go into relationships with these um, templated expectations, yes. that when those expectations aren't met, that's when we get angry. Because it's the it's this very subconscious template that we carry around about how things should be. Absolutely. How I expect things to be. How Absolutely. I, how I m- might need things to be. How is there supposed to be? My life isn't supposed to be like it, it is right now. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's all these, uh, you know, supposed tos. And that's based on old templates, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 thing, the same thing will happen at work, though. You know, I'm not getting enough attention from my boss. I'm not getting, you know, enough uh, uh, praise or whatever for the project that I just did. And I begin to become angry at them. Right. You know, and that's 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 incredibly common. You know, uh, you know. I think another reason why do we do this at home? I think that, you know, out in the out in the world of of uh, you know corporate life or the factory whatever, is that you know we feel helpless. We feel like the little guy, and so when we come home, we're the big guy. We're the big mama, and we're in control here. Mm. And so often, you know, when those needs are not being met in a healthy way, we end up exerting control over situations that we are the big guy. Mm. And that's in a really unhealthy way. Yeah. And I think also, like on a sociological level, that buys into this idea that the family is supposed to be the haven in the heartless world, right? Separate from, it's supposed to be the place that we go back to, to be restored mostly by the mother or the wife or whatever, right? Um, to restored, rejuvenated, fed, watered, bath, you know, all the rest of it, get our good sleep, and then go back out into that competitive, neoliberal, hateful world that we must survive one more day of. And we're supposed to be all refreshed and we're ready to take it on, and, and that's not the truth. Right. You know, I mean, that's, again, one of the great myths of lies we tell ourselves that, in fact, you know, we go home and we just have another whole series of stressors. Yeah. Uh, waiting for us there. By the time we come back to work, another set of stressors. But we're already carrying all this stress. Yeah, and when we don't get what we want back We're home, getting angry. Anger flows downwards. That's what you always say. Absolutely. Anger anger always, always flows downwards. All right. Mm-hmm. Very rarely does anger flow up. Very rarely do you take on authority figures or, or you know, the whether it's the judge in the town or the sheriff or the police department. We're always, yes, sir, you know, so on. The, 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 the boss yells at us. We come home and we yell at our wife. The wife yells at the kids. The kids kick the dog. The dog hits, you know, the cat. And on down and the rat dies. Um, but it almost always, always flows downward. So, you know, when you come home, it's you, where are you going to dump it? You're going to dump it in the house and watch it. It'll trickle downwards. Rarely do we ever allow it to go upwards. Yeah. You know, too big of a risk. Huge yeah. risk in allowing it to go upwards. Speaking of risks, mm-hmm. we're at risk of being told to get off the air. Get off. Uh, <laughs> because it is time for us to take another break already. Uh, you are listening to our great show, Things Worth Considering. And we hope you found a few already. And uh, we're going to be back to the other side of these commercials. And this is Gordon Dell and Jan Hill. We'll be right back. 
Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The White House Doctor Makes House Calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Vidal and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, welcome back. Uh, Jan and I are having an interesting discussion here about our relationships and the conflict that keeps coming into them and discovering why this keeps happening. You know, when, when a couple of fights about uh, you know, leaving the lid off of the toothpaste tube in the bathroom. It is never about the toothpaste tube. That's where the anger gets right. directed at. All right. 
those are about needs that are not being met. They're about, you know, not feeling loved, not feeling affection, not, you know, getting our most basic human needs met in an, in a place that we expect them to meet or to be met, but have never probably been spoken about. Yeah, I think when you, I hear you say that, I think of invisibility. A total invisibility. Right? Yes. Feeling invisible. So if, for example, you need space in the refrigerator for your... I don't know, your chocolate eclairs or something, right? And there's never any space in the refrigerator for your chocolate eclairs. And you ask and ask and ask, can we move your stuff over? And it doesn't happen. Boy, oh boy, after, you know, a couple of years of asking. <laughs> a couple of forget years. Forget it, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I found after four to five years, I kind of, you know, get a little tired. But So, you know what? <laughs> we, we just want to, you know, also put out there, you know, anger is a normal emotion. Anger uh, helps us empower ourselves sometimes. Uh, sometimes when we're in a situation that, you know, we we need that in order to give our bodies and our minds some strength to move forward. Um, it's totally normal. But how we convey our anger is really what's the most important thing here. Uh, not that anger is good or bad. There's no there's no judgment around anger. Uh, it's it's uh, how we deliver that. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is where we can have so many problems. It's what you um, do with it? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, one of, one of the big things is is that anger makes us feel that it has to happen right now. All right, it creates an absolute sense of urgency. Yeah. And so, you know, you'll see, uh, uh, you know, I have, might have friends coming for dinner with some other friends, and they have had a little tiff in the car that they bring to the dinner table. All right. Now, I'm old school. That's just socially inappropriate. You know, I don't want to listen to what you're arguing about. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the things that also sometimes they will do, and again, this has to do with attachment styles and, and learning styles, uh, is that they will then try to drag people into the fight with them. Well, don't you hear what I'm saying? Don't you right. agree? You know, and it's like, that's a really damaging, uh, you know, damaging thing to do. I think that if you have a problem with someone, talk to them first mm-hmm. don't talk to a whole lot of other people because that just feels like uh you just feel put down you just feel like you really don't matter what your your you know your comeback is around that see and that's an interesting thing right because if you're the kind of person who need who uh feels connected to people when they share their feelings and if your partner isn't open to sharing feelings with you in that moment because that might not be their natural style, right? Um, then who are you going to go to? If you got to get it out of you, if you can't emotionally regulate, if you've got to get it out, then you have to find somebody else to tell all your feelings to and to share your intimate secrets get with. Get a therapist. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> this is why but not everyone our, needs a therapist. Exactly, exactly, but not our friends. No, exactly, right? You know, I, I just think that's, uh, yeah, it's like uh, um, you know, try, trying to coalition build. You know, build alliances. Absolutely, I'm gonna get everybody on this side of the table to hate you. Right. Yeah. Right. And and that's that is so destructive. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know the uh, the way that we do anger can actually destroy relationships. So Mm -hmm. you know, so first first and foremost is don't bring your friends and family members into it. It's not their fight. It's not their interest. And if they want to get into it, you need to be able to say no. Uh, in fact, next week, we're going to be doing a whole show on boundaries, which isn't just a white picket fence around my property. Uh, boundaries is our ability to say no, which is, by the way, a complete sentence. Excellent. Work. No. Yeah, is that good? 
I know. I know. I took a lot of therapy for that. Uh, You know, stay away from phrases like you always, you never, uh, you should, you must, you have to. All of those are shame-based statements. Those uh, make the person feel that they've done something horribly wrong and that they're less than somehow. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, you know, you should be ashamed of yourself. Right. And they're totalizing, right? So it yes. means that every time, always, always, you always do that. Right? So it actually diminishes the the contextual nature of our behavior. It totally right? diminishes it. Right? You always wear ridiculous socks or something like that. It's like, well, that means Jan didn't notice the time when I didn't wear ridiculous socks. Or it didn't it, have socks on at all. Do you even have a socks on? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know. But you know well, what I mean? And then it actually, it actually... When we totalize somebody and they want to be seen, right? They want to overcome that invisibility piece. Then they have to defend all the times that they didn't wear crazy socks. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. You know. Well, yeah. But like last Saturday, I was wearing. You know. And then they have to. They're they're struggling. Yeah. And it's a way of almost uh, uh, derailing. Exactly. Totally derailing. It's a real diversion away from what the actual issues are. Right. You know. Um, I think that we, we need to be able to talk from our own experiences, mm-hmm. you know, and that is, is that a conversation should start with I, I feel. The moment we start with things like you do blah, blah, whatever it might be on Saturdays, every Saturday you get up and you, you know, turn on the radio really loud and then I can't sleep. Um, that really puts the person onto the defensive. Right. And then the more defensive someone becomes, the more likely you're going to get angry. Yeah. And so again, it's a derail. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, that we're not going to be able to get at it. If I talk from an I position, you're much more likely to go, "Wow, what what is what's he saying? What's what's he mm-hmm. talking about?" Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I start with I, not you. Mm-hmm. Never start with you. Uh, that when um, you know you you uh, force someone into a defensive stance, you need to really back up somehow, uh, and and you know get back into just listening to that person. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, I think listening, you know, it's just listening. Like we teach, you know, with our, our students here, is say nothing. Right, and we don't live in a culture that listens. Oh God, right? no! And we listen selectively. Mm-hmm. So or half of the sentence. Right. So when, we're, form, we're formulating our response already before you've even finished. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So when I say, Gord, you're wearing crazy socks, you're already thinking about all the times you didn't wear crazy socks. So you can say to me, well, Jan, you're wrong about that. Right. <laughs> Rather than actually listening to perhaps what I think is crazy. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Because maybe wearing two exactly perfectly matched blue socks is crazy. No, that's just, that's just that's silly. Craziness. Who would buy those? Uh, crazy. <laughs> And how about, uh-huh. how about, yes, but. Okay. All right. That but yeah. just totally obliterates yeah. anything that went before. And that is what I call a yabbit. Yeah, but. That's a yabbit experience. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, yeah but. but Gord. Sometimes yeah, but. the yabbit actually works really well. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind but. of attached to it. You're attached to it? Okay. Oh, yeah, uh, but. I don't like yabbits. I know. <laughs> you know what? Instead of doing a yabbit, you can agree and then ask another question. Yes. So you can say, yes, I understand. I'm interested in finding out what are the criteria for crazy socks. Right. 
right? Why are you keeping on the socks? I don't know. It's just in my head today. All right. Because I was sorting socks this morning. (laughs) My own crazy socks. Sorting? Okay. Your vast quantities of them. I do have a lot of socks. Don't use name calling or expletives Mm -hmm. to get your point across. It's Mm. totally destructive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, swearing at uh, uh, it's uh, someone like using swear words is not okay. It just isn't. You're, it, it, you know, what we wanted to do is to give you some information that you won't destroy your relationship, but you'll in fact build it. You know, uh, don't raise your voice. Um, mm-hmm. uh, both, you know, both people are are trying to take control of the situation, and that's exactly what what that does. It 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 can incite intimidation. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's really, it's a, it's an effort to get in control of the argument. Yes, yeah, like bullying. In a way, it is. Yeah. In a way, it is. You know, so you know, you you hear someone, you know, you know, especially a male voice, which is like, like you know, bellowing. Uh, it's very, very intimidating to to anyone, and that's going to that's going to cause all kinds of problems. Here's a trick you can do with that: is when somebody gets louder, you get quieter, because to hear you, they have to actually stop and listen. Right. Right? So you just... Where did you learn that? In the military? I was born whispering. You were born whispering. I was born whisperer. You're the whisperer. I know. Anybody (laughs) who knows me would just pull their Don't throw things. Don't don't throw things. Don't break things. Don't break things. Not cool. Not Not cool. cool. Those are all intimidation tactics. Mm -hmm. Okay? If you are with someone that you need to intimidate, then you are in the wrong relationship. You, Mm -hmm. You really are. Uh, mm-hmm. You need therapy. <laughs> you need to talk to someone about where that self-esteem is. Yeah. You know, especially if we're in a relationship with them. Um, you know, kids have to be gotten out of the way. Uh, kids exposed to that, you know, is, is really a problem. Now, you know, here's, here's, here's what the, the big thing for me was in growing up is my parents would have an argument. And then the next thing that I knew, it was morning. I slept. And, and they were being real nice to each other, and they were pouring each other tea and coffee and chuckling. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people said, hey, they had sex. That's why. Great makeup sex. Hmm. But, see, we didn't get to see, not the sex. I don't want this. But <laughs> yeah, we didn't see going? the movement as to when did they begin to, you know, sort of take the take the heat out of the relationship at that, or the, uh, the argument at that point and begin to actually communicate with one another. Right, right. So for most of us, you know, a conflict aversion is understood because it meant an escalation. It meant it got ugly. It meant maybe pots and pans were banged or the doors were banged as people acted out their, their what's wrong? Nothing is wrong with me. Okay, that's cool. Uh, and that we're supposed to guess, of course. Uh, and so all of a sudden then it, it's, you know, becomes, you know, bigger and bigger and possibly explosive. Kids are like, oh, my God. And then we see them, and they're fine the next day. Mm-hmm. So that whole piece around, you know, what did they negotiate? The conflict resolution element of that just totally disappears. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, you know, I think we need to, instead of, you know, with our children, instead of yelling, go to your room, is we need to learn to teach them how to, you know, how to work through a problem with, with you know, their parents. Mm-hmm. So they get to witness the They can witness it and they learn it by doing it. Right. Yeah. Around that leads to resolution. You know, but, but you know, uh, I understand a low level of frustration. You just mm-hmm. want the kid to go away, you know, like go to your room, uh, take the dog for a walk or mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, you know, the problem is, is that if, 
uh, if, if that's what is a common common characteristic, then you're not going to have an opportunity to learn anything. Right. And that's and that's the only way that we'll ever become risk averse. Mm-hmm. I have one. Or stop being risk averse. Uh, I have one that uh, the silent treatment. And so I think this is interesting uh, for avoidant personalities, right? Or people who are um, maybe could be passive aggressive, but they could also just be really avoidant in terms of they don't like conflict at all, right? Right. Um, but there are those people who are the opposite of that. There are those people who the only way they know they're love is when they're fighting with people. Right, right. There's that. There's they'll, the drama they'll, they'll start the fight. They'll start yeah. the fight. They'll throw they'll throw the grenade into the middle of the room and and like, oh, and yeah. get very involved. So I have a story about that because I, I years ago I had a client who uh, whose mother lived far away and uh, and the mother wished she lived closer, but circumstances were otherwise. And so whenever my client would go out and visit her mom and her mom would drive her back to the airport, as would happen every time, they would have a big fight in the car. Big fight in the car. And, you know, the realization, and my client wasn't a big fighter, but the realization was basically that her mom had to have a big fight with her so that she could feel okay about her daughter getting back on the plane. Really? Yeah. Interesting, eh? Wow, that's, that sure is. Okay. Um, that, that, w- that would be very, very difficult to, to deal with. So, you know, we're coming up to the end of our show. Um, I think the most important thing we can tell you is don't Keep lists. If Stay current. If you have something to say, then say it. Uh, we don't let things go. We put it on a list. Transparency. Exactly. Um, we invite you to join us next week. Uh, Jan and I will be back. And we're going to be talking about boundaries and how boundaries play an important role in all of this with relationships. Uh, we hope that you will have a great week. And we look forward to having you back. Please feel free to uh, get in touch with us at info at uh, spiritgrows.ca. And uh, we look forward to having you back next week when boundaries will be what it's all about. Thanks, Jan. Thanks, Gord. Bye-bye, everybody. Okay, bye. Thank you for tuning into Things Worth Considering. Please join your hosts, Dr. Jan Hill and Gord Riddell, for another edition next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, think about the connections in your life and how they define who you are.